0: I saw somewhere in Mexico Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined again today by New Metal Enthusiast and the co-host of the Double Density podcast, Brian Hasty. Brian, welcome back. Thank you for having me, Rob. Though I feel like right off the top, I should say you
1: kind of brought me in as a ringer for this episode. <laughs>
0: I mean, the thing is, is like I've heard you talk about the Place Bonaventure Hotel incident before, but I've never heard you talk about it really on a pod and in depth in any kind of way. And I felt like, yeah, this initially started as, "Hey, let's talk about this weird uh, abduction case from this uh, involving this Canadian band," and uh, it evolved into, "Let's talk about the Place Venture Hotel" because it just seems like it's a big case that. Most people don't know about because it was in Montreal in 1990.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a bit of a weird case in that, like, m- like in most cases, you have like one to like fourish, let's say, like uh, witnesses, whereas like this was easily seen by 30 to 40 people at the height of of the the issue. Um, so before I forget, um, some local flavoring, right? So in English, mm-hmm. we call um, these objects UFOs, but in French, they're called ovnis, which means objet volant non identifié, which is obviously UFO. Um, so that was, uh, something to note at the top. And I realized uh, I want to use another Canadian adage in that, like, I feel like when we get together, uh, it's kind of like listening to a hockey broadcast, Rob, you're the play by play man. I'm the color commentary together. Mm-hmm. We form a uh, great UFO harmony in our lives.
0: Absolutely. We, uh, we present a complete picture here. And honestly, I think any sports broadcasters out there should feel, a little concerned because we are coming for their jobs in, <laughs> you know, later 2022. Uh, we are this dynamic duo of strange UFO stories. So, Brian, g- give us a little flavoring for the time period of 1990. What is 1990s Montreal like? It's it's a
1: city in expansion, which is kind of interesting, right? So the downtown core is seeing a revitalization. Um and we'll touch on, on this in a bit, but one of the big construction projects is Mille de la Gauche de which is a high-rise, which actually uh, currently has like an indoor skating rink like a nice skating rink you can go into if you really feel the desire to go to there's a bunch of businesses and then uh, condos the top few floors um Montreal really comes into its own uh, during that period commercially and then we'll see a steady decline throughout the mid and late 90s as a number of factors kind of uh, lead businesses to leave Montreal. One of the bigger things, of course, is the 1995 referendum on the sovereignty of Quebec. So that's kind of the apex of, um, businesses moving their headquarters outside of Quebec into other parts of Canada. Um, so there is a bit of like linguistic flight going on there. Uh, but 1990 Montreal. kind of tough kind of tough uh the 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 biker wars will heat up in a couple years but the the ground is being laid there too
0: yes uh we are like in that beginning period where uh you know cigarettes are are going to become an issue here they were especially an issue over on the new york side too because it was like you couldn't escape it like it was this big deal that you know george pataki tried to make even bigger than it really was but you know yeah, so r-
1: running running SIGs uh, from the Canadian side to the American side uh, with, like, fake SEALs and stuff was definitely a, a thing that uh, took center stage here in, in Quebec, too, because, like, I mean, like, Quebec is a very co- corrupt province, right? Like, there was the Charbonneau Commission about 10 years ago which outlined the intersection of construction projects in Quebec with the mafia and how mm-hmm. widespread that was. Uh, and so, like, officers being on the take even during the biker wars was, was also a thing.
0: Which is, yeah, just... We're setting the stage here, folks. We are setting the stage for really uh, what I've come to call the um, it's like the Chicago O'Hare UFO incident, but on steroids because <laughs> it's a bigger UFO and it hangs around for a lot longer. Um, so uh, Plasbot Adventure, it's, is it still a Hilton hotel? Yes. So it's still a Hilton. It is
1: located sort of like on the um, on the southern side of the downtown core. Um, and what happens is that the, because uh, Montreal is an island and in the middle of it there's Mount Royal and everything kind of descends from there. So one of the plateaus that kind of um, envelops the downtown core kind of slopes down afterwards and Place Bonaventure uh, is sort of like on the edge of that. So it kind of overlooks uh, like a lower altitude, kind of like little plain almost.
0: Yes, and And infamously, this hotel has a pool on the roof that people were swimming in uh, in November. Yeah. So but something
1: to note is that there was a heated section of the pool.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So (laughs) these
1: people aren't like the polar bear club kind of people who are just jumping for joy at the sight of ice and water uh, comingling.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, like, uh, this incident is really that quintessential incident that you hear people talk about, like, well, why do we see, like, big UFOs hanging out over cities and, you know, like, it's stuff like that. This is one of those cases. Like, this is literally one of those kind of, like, home run cases in which a UFO does do that. Although, you know, in some eyes they could be ice particles and and other BS. We're going to get
1: into that in a bit. Uh, There's some like theories behind it, but to set the stage, right? uh, First things first, November 7th, 1990 around 730. uh, A bunch of people are out enjoying the outdoor heated pool at Plast Bonaventure the Hilton and suddenly mm -hmm. they look up. Robin, what do they see?
0: They see a big old UFO just like hanging out there. It's like it's big. It's round. It's got some like lights coming off this thing, like multiple different lights, like light streams. And they get very specific in the investigation of this case in, in like laying out almost how this craft has to be angled for like these light beams to be seen by so many people. But I, you know, some people said that they saw four, some said six, some said even, even more than that. But like, we're talking about a big old UFO, The sun had set by about 430 that night. So we're we're into the winter months. It's it's getting cold out. The sun is setting much earlier. And interestingly enough, it's an American tourist that first sees this UFO on this roof in this pool.
1: Yeah. So she is alerted to this. She looks up. She sees it. She tells the lifeguard who then does two very interesting things. Firstly, calls the cops, sure, but then Mm -hmm. also calls the La Presse newspaper. So the offices of La Presse were located in Old Montreal, um, which is about a 20 to 25 minute walk from the hotel, all things considered, depending on the weather. Uh, And so uh, all these people start gathering on the rooftop, including the local cops from Station 22, as well as La Presse newspaper um, reporter, who also then calls other La Presse newspaper reporters, and one of them takes uh, a picture of the incident
0: yes uh so like the first person that arrives uh i believe is albert sterling and like this is like 20 minutes after uh the lifeguard reports this and you know just shows up be like hey well there's a ufo right there and then (laughs) they like this becomes an episode of like phone tag of people calling just everybody that they can uh so at seven thirty eight, after he'd been there for um you know just for a few minutes he uh te- telephones the montreal urban community police station 25 like you mentioned and he starts to report what he says is fallen debris that's coming from the sky from like a satellite or a space object or something like that. The only problem is there's nothing falling. It's just there sitting in the sky. Yeah, just sitting. Yeah. So, you know, he also contacts the uh uh international airport and he can't get through. It's it's the line's busy at the time, but like Yeah, the lifeguard contacts the press. Like, it just becomes like this big, huge kind of. Let's get everybody that we can up here to see this thing. And, you know, this this object was situated over the southeast corner of the pool. But the thing is, is like if you see like estimates of the size of this thing, there's one particular image. This thing is like at least a 1000 feet wide from from estimates and like yeah it is quite large yeah it is absolutely huge it's hanging out over this pool and you know we're we're getting into like multiple eyewitnesses uh it, it just seemed like at a certain point the lifeguard just like leaves uh her post and just starts having a, a bunch of people come out on the roof it's amazing yeah <laughs>
1: So eventually, though, they do reach. So there are two airports at the time. Now there's only one, but they reach uh, Dorval, which is uh, a 25 minute drive uh, from the like west from the the downtown core, as well as Mirabel, which is actually located off the island um, to the north a bit. And neither of them report anything at the time.
0: Yeah, nothing. There is nothing registering on radar, and from what uh, we later find out through the investigation, like the only way to evade radar. In this particular area, is if something is flying below, I think four hundred and fifty feet or something like that. So, uh, and estimates put this thing at an elevation of like about six thousand feet or so. So, yeah, it is. It is be, quite high. Yeah, so should be showing up on radar. It isn't, and just given the size of this thing, and even from you know, 6,000 feet, you can pretty much tell that it is, it, it's, it's ginormous. So at eight o'clock, uh, Marcel LaRoche, uh, of La Presse steps, uh, foot on the rooftop. And then 10 minutes later, uh, F, uh, Lippy, who is an officer with the MCUP, he steps out as well. And Lippy kind of, He describes seeing these yellow lights. They're all like singular beams and they're emanating from all over the place on uh, from this object. But what's interesting is when he's up there and when the amount of witnesses that they had up there at that time, there was a Cessna type aircraft uh, that was flying at about twelve hundred feet. It flew underneath this craft and, you know, against this, like, huge yellow circular backdrop this this plane was like tiny in comparison to the object above it so we have more journalists Jules Belvo he um he he ended up receiving a letter from a man named Francois I don't even know how to pronounce that last name Cheverfiels or something like that but <laughs> he claimed to know a friend who known only as Mr. Jean, that he saw an object from his plane between 7.30 and 8 p.m. So we kind of have confirmation that this is the guy that flew underneath this object. Yeah. The story progresses, and there's a woman and her daughter driving on Champlain Boulevard so here's the confusing thing. So I looked around and there are four possible Champlain Boulevards
1: in Montreal that that could be. So I'm not quite sure which one it is. There's one in the neighborhood I used to live in that has a clear shot at looking at the downtown core. So I think it might be that one.
0: Okay. All right. That that makes sense. Uh. So, this woman and her daughter was about eight fifteen they observed quote two large white spots of light in the sky, along with a number of smaller lights which did not appear to move and were silent. The sighting allegedly took place four point two miles southwest of Place Bonaventure, so uh, we have you know corroborating sightings a little away from the building. And, you know, we start to see police backup arrive at about 820. And like, what do you, what do, you do if you're a police officer? You're showing up and, uh, you know, the police are then calling the RCMP, uh, asking for backup from them. What the hell do you do at the top of this roof looking at this UFO? Like, what is the police going to do? Uh, I think
1: one of the cops even jokes that uh, he's like, should I shoot at it? Yes. He, I think he tells that to one of the reporters, too, at one point. And also, just to note so around around the downtown core, there is also a place called Placeville Marie, which has spotlights and beacons, and you can see it pretty much from like anywhere um in the city on the south side of the mountain. This is not that either; this is a clear object that sustains because the the beacons swirl around in the city, so that is not this. this is an immobile object that sits, yes.
0: Uh, and it's by 850 uh, around 852 that we get confirmation that this thing is not registering on radar at all and you know it's starting to veer into like 2 hours that this object has just been hanging out here uh above this roof and laroche at this time a reporter from la presse he decides he's going to run downstairs and he's going to grab a camera. Now he's not a professional photographer. As a journalist, he probably just usually takes pictures of, you know, the, the people that he's interviewing for whatever article that he's writing about. But he starts to, um, you know, try and snap a few pictures of this thing. He seems to have some trouble with it. So he calls uh, the photographer of La Presse who gives him you know, a couple of pointers and, Uh, He snaps a couple of photos that are that are pretty interesting, one of which um, definitely shows like something round with like lights coming from it. You know, it's interesting. It's yellowy, yellowish. And um, I, I don't know. What do you think of the photo? It is of
1: uh, poor quality,
0: Rob. Yeah, it is very poor quality. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, you can kind of see the
1: outline of of the the hotel, sort of. But then in the sky, there's just an object. But you can't really make out the number of light points either, unfortunately.
0: No, unfortunately not. But I mean, it's an interesting photograph in the very least, because it's just like, well, how the hell do you photograph something like that with the lighting conditions that you're given? It's a tough, it's a tough thing. So, you know, around nine o'clock, we have more backup from the MCUP arriving. We have uh, an investigator with the RCMP has now on the roof. Um, LaRoche takes like several photographs between nine o'clock and nine oh five. And throughout the hour, more and more personnel just arrives like it's a pool party it it really is a pool party, so you know at, at one point uh the police officers get in touch with the uh the construction crew working on uh lego
1: which I was talking about before, yeah, which is just being constructed at that point,
0: yeah, and they they were end up uh having the uh the lights on the construction towers turned off and even after that, that object was still there. So, and I've seen certain skeptics say that, like, "Oh, it's just lights from the construction site." Ignoring
1: the fact that for the last half of this encounter, they were off.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, how do you explain how that happens when they do shut off the lights and it's still there? So, yeah, it, it just uh, another thing for. I, I have a question because like this is the case, not only in in this incident, but also in the Carp Guardian case. Why is the skeptic always just a huge looking nerd every time? <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about the the environment, the Mark
1: Jellina guy from our environment, Canada? <laughs> Yes. yes, yeah. Um so I'm hoping this makes it into the show notes, but I sent you a CBC archives uh video from 94 where they did a yes. whole package on this and like um if I were to describe like Montreal in the 90s it'd be all of these people together. They all have like weird pastel colored suits. It's all ill-fitting and then Rob you made one of my favorite comments of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, you 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 said ill-fitting and I said like uh you mean like are we talking David Byrne or <laughs>
1: yeah absolutely stop making sense David Byrne and then also you made the comment about the reporter smoking in the newsroom which made me laugh yes. too because I was like that's that's Montreal right there in the 90s if you were to describe that um yes. but yeah so yeah. Mark Jelena is like I don't know it's just light sources from downtown don't worry about it which is not the case because it was there for several hours
0: yeah it was there for close to uh really three hours from seven fifteen, and it kind of disappears behind some cloud cover uh around 10 10 p.m and so yeah that's the weird thing is that like it's described as like slowly disappearing like it doesn't abruptly
1: it almost vanishes gradually
0: yes yeah kind of like fading out like somebody hit the fader very slowly just incredibly slowly but what's interesting is that this was not the only sighting In Montreal that night, so uh, there is a sighting from a man, Pierre Calmartin, who uh, definitely fits that description of pure Montreal in the 90s with the cigarette in his hand recounting his UFO uh, uh, sighting. But he was driving home from work between 1030 and 11 p.m. when he saw some, quote, very odd lights, a strange luminous object in a boomerang shape low in the sky at about the level of the clouds he described the lights as quote very big and strong which yeah
1: <laughs> and also to note so he saw had this sighting around the olympic stadium which is several kilometers for our canadian listeners and for everyone else in the world um just america i mean uh several miles east of the downtown core
0: yes yes so Uh, He drives home, and from his home, he lives in eastern Montreal. He saw this object hover near the uh, Hydro-Quebec Long Point power station. And from this vantage point, uh, Pierre described the object as um, a dirigible in a way, um, with only kind of like the gondola on the bottom visible underneath the Oh, you're using the cursed word. Interesting. Yes, I know. Uh, Gondola man. You would? Do you? Did you forget about Gondola Man? Yeah, no, he hasn't forgotten about well, you. He'll I see think you Rob, this is dreams. a great place
1: to to plug your Patreon too.
0: Yes, absolutely. If you don't know about Gondola Man, patreon.com dot uh, slash your UFO guy, you will hear the Gondola Man story, which Brian was a part of. I just kind of sprung it on him. No cursed you know, images, Cursed
1: images. Yes. And I returned the favor in that. Right. <laughs> so I think this is a good time to talk about this. So when I was doing research, I pulled out a book. And I'll send you a better picture of this afterwards. But there is a June 1974 sighting in St. Cyril, which is uh, northeast of Montreal. And in there, essentially, um, the depiction of what could only be described as uh, space or alien bees. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, Think uh, Bee Girl from the No Rain uh, Blind Melon music video. And you kind of you kind of got it. They look like. I don't know, luminous honey, honey combs or luminous, like the, that thing that you dip into the honey to pull it out. Yeah. Kind of, they kind of like have that like robust center to them. And like, they're like pool donuts just stacked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely in that Michelin, um, yes. kind of yeah, area. Yeah. Uh, so, Pierre watches this dirigible like object. Uh, and he he says he can hear this like purring or humming sound, uh, during the sighting. And he, and he watches this thing for about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, and this sighting occurred very close to the uh, military base, which experienced a mysterious power outage from 1108 to 1150. And it's unclear what caused it. No unknown anomalies were noted and investigators were unable to find any corroborating eyewitnesses on base that saw this object. But we know, like, the, the military ain't going to narc. It doesn't matter what country you're in. They're not going <laughs> to narc on the UFOs. They never do. No,
1: no. Or the the of knees in this case.
0: Yeah, estimates of the UFO over the Place Bonaventure Hotel, they they guesstimated to about over a thousand feet wide that this object was. And uh given the altitudes uh, um of the uh of the clouds at the time, it was a hovering at approximately at a, at an approximate height of six thousand feet at around seven thirty, like there are points at which people say this kind of this object kind of moved a little bit, but uh, eh, it's kind of like shoddy there. But according to Alan Jocks, uh, the radar operator at Dorval International Airport, he was contacted by the RCMP about a possible radar contact, though none had registered in the area. And yeah, it's just like uh, there was an uh, an intense investigation That was conducted by Richard Haynes. And if you read the report, it's extensive. It's boring. But it's the good kind of boring that you want to see in a UFO report that's like 20 pages long that goes into uh, just every kind of angle that you could think of for getting as much data on this UFO sighting as they could. And um, they couldn't, they, they didn't really come to a, definitive conclusion they couldn't really explain it so you know i think that lends a lot of credence to yeah. the last spot at hotel incident
1: so uh the so there's there's two authors right so there's dr richard haynes who is a former nasa scientist and who has an interest in ufos as well as bernard guenet who is a quebec ufo researcher and at the time was um i'm not sure at the time but i know that he at one point was the chair of all of move on quebec too mm-hmm. yeah Um, And so they get together, they put this, this kind of very thorough report together. Um, And though, like you were saying, Rob, they don't draw any conclusions. It is a highly odd sighting um, that involves a lot of witnesses.
0: Yeah, it involves an excessive amount of eyewitnesses. They put it in a range between like 40 and uh, like... Seventy five people, and, and Gannett was like one of the witnesses. He saw it at like nine thirty when he was like driving around, or seven thirty when he was. Yeah, driving he had around. left his
1: office in Montreal and like looked up and had seen it too. And that kind of he put two and two together when he saw. So, um, two days after this, uh, the Journal de Montreal, which is like the New York Post of Montreal, it's like the rag, mm-hmm. um, of like Montreal news, um, puts out a, a a a page one report, and so Gannett sees this and his mind kind of clicks in realizing that like oh what i saw was also was also this yeah yeah and then if you take a look if you if you start like um looking at like um not just the the cbc piece but a bunch of like um other youtube videos a lot more people have commented and i want i i do believe it to be true that a lot more people have commented saying i i saw this or i was there
0: mhm yeah so the numbers yeah, probably
1: absolutely. in a, a in the hundreds if not thousands i believe at that point
0: yeah very fair uh I mean it's hard to get accurate like you would figure in a in a city like Montreal, more people would have seen it than that uh that then like
1: yeah, but it's also November like people mm, are fair. are indoors they aren't necessarily walking around trying to take a look to see in, yeah, and trying yeah. to
0: see these things that's fair, but also at the same time it's not incredibly cold like it's I think it's like, what, ranging between like minus six Celsius and zero degrees Celsius. So like, oh, it's even warmer than that at that point. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not incredibly cold. Like if you live in the the north, like Brian, how would you, would you consider 32 degrees like relatively warm for somebody who lives in the winter and isn't, you know, has lived through deep cold? I
1: mean, relatively for the, the fall and winter months, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like 32 degrees is nothing compared to January of this year when we all froze to death. <laughs> but speaking of weather, so
1: one of the the more interesting kind of explanations I saw in uh, St. Paget's book, so St. Paget is a UFO investigator who at the time investigated this, and I also um, sent you a link to a um, French reports on a show called De Ciemice or Mystery Dossiers um, that he actually put together. He um, had heard that a Belgian ufologist named uh, Wim Van Utrecht believed um, that the sighting was a mixture of light trickery as well as the formation of light columns due to the weather um, inherent um, in both, which explains the evaporative nature of the UFO, which I find interesting, but not wholly buying into that either
0: right because the problem is is that there was no immediate cloud cover when the object was first sighted cloud cover moved in later but like that it becomes problematic if you're trying to tie it into that and like i understand how like uh, for instance i was walking to work a couple weeks ago and from I don't know, uh, uh, like five blocks away, I could see this weird beam of light. And like, the you know, the wind was blowing. It was snowing outside and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the hell is this like beam of light that I keep seeing? So I keep walking towards work and I realize that out back of work, there is
1: this... Um, secret military installation.
0: N- yeah, there's this totally... There a secret we go. Mil- military installation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there is this like... Um, it's an outdoor light. And because of the way that the wind was blowing around the snow, it was projecting this beam of light. This like light was basically riding the snow up into the air. It was kind of cool, but like you don't have this in this case, there's no, no snow. There's, I don't think we're really in the cold territory of like light bouncing off of ice crystals at like 32 degrees. No. Um. So, you know, that explanation kind of just falls flat, especially when you know if you're requiring at the very least some clouds in the area. Well, you didn't get clouds really any significant clouds till about 10 10 p.m. So, yeah, yeah, it just clear skies.
1: Seem. Um, not that cold, even higher altitude. I mean, like obviously up that high, it is quite cold, but like the, the change in temperature would not be enough to trigger this. I don't think from what I understand of the phenomenon, though I could be wrong. I am not a trained scientist. I only play one on my podcast.
0: Yeah that that's fair that's totally fair. Brian with the uh armchair expert uh analysis here and uh I agree with him. Like uh, i will, yeah,
1: I will I will fully admit to being wrong anytime new evidence is presented to me. So until a uh n- a non margillan uh meteorologist comes forward and explains this to me then I I will buy into it
0: yes absolutely uh so therefore the Plasbon bonaventure hotel incident remains one of the best ufo incidents on record and you didn't know about it probably until now so there you go we're we're educating the public but uh you know quebec has had a number of ufo sightings over the years so uh we're go- we're gonna hit you with a, with a few of these and and it was definitely host to some of the humanoid sightings that became infamous during the 1973 year, the humanoids uh, encounters. Uh, and there, there are a few that we're going to highlight here. I'm, I'm doing a whole episode. I'm actually recording it later this week with uh, the guys of the Kryptonite podcast. We're going to be like diving extensively into the report that David Webb generated Um in like 74 76 somewhere around there but it's just wild but uh there is a a, an anonymous couple living in saint mathias de Chambly and they're basically walking along a road not far from their residence one evening this is in october quite late though Oct- like yes. october 6th,
1: 1971 it's like after midnight and they're taking a walk and also just to note so chambly is located um east of montreal but if you go take out a map and take a look at montreal you'll realize that montreal is on a slant so the weird thing is all of our cardinal points are just wrong so it's sort of <laughs> shifted so if you were to ask me where it was located i would probably say like uh like Southeast of where I live, but that's because I'm on a slant and it's actually just um like, like 20 minutes East of here off the Island. Yeah. Uh,
0: so yeah, they're walking along this road and they see this bright light in a field that is adjacent to their farm. And it looks like this kind of like searchlight that's just moving all about. And, you know, without much of a thought about it, they return to their farm and just kind of forgot about it completely. You know, they, the next morning, Uh, this woman went outside to hang up some of her clothes when she noticed like the smoke that was rising up in the field. And she watched it for a while with these two repairmen that had shown up uh, to make repairs. And shortly after 1130 AM, their attention was drawn to an object described as an upside down bowl, half a mile away. The yellowish object was 50 feet in diameter. And before long, what was one object soon became two.
1: So one thing to note, too, is that when this woman saw this smoke column, there's no fire, which was like odd to her.
0: Yes, very, very odd. And there is the apathy aspect to this case in which... It, it, they're definitely looking for mundane explanations to kind of explain it away, but it's just like, how do you do that in this field adjacent to your farm? Like that's that's close, and like if you see smoke, why would you, why would you not run out there and and, and you know to make sure that you know a fire doesn't spread throughout your entire farm? That seems like a smart idea, but in I mean, this okay, case, so
1: just to defend that a little bit it is the middle of fall though it's early fall they could be doing like her neighbors could have been burning leaves or something
0: yeah that's fair that's absolutely fair i it's tough to kind of gauge what her neighbor situation is here because we don't get much info on that but that's uh, the thing
1: is these 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 pseudonyms or initials
0: yeah so this small object breaks away from the bigger one and it kind of settles near a spring Um, that's not far away. And, you know, the mundane explanation that comes to them is that it's a bulldozer moving some earth over the field. So they just pass it off. However, this explanation was shattered by the appearance of five small figures moving about the field. Now they were Boy Scouts and the yellow object, a large tent. These short figures appeared to be about four feet tall, though the tall grass did much to obscure uh, from their vantage point that the grass was about two feet tall at this point. So it obscured a lot. Silly scut. It's Scouts
1: Canada kids just wandering
0: around the fields. Yes, yes. In the uh, middle of
1: the day when they should probably be uh, at school. I I forgot to check what day of the week it was.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, Fair, Hold on, let me
1: pull up a... See,
0: oh, you're going to check it right now.
1: I'm I'm doing some science here. Okay, October 1971. The 6th was a Wednesday. So there's there's no way that these kids are just out of school doing scout stuff in the middle of the day.
0: Yeah. Uh it's, that's completely fair. Uh so we're we're poking holes in, in, in this thing, but yeah, they appeared to just kind of move back and forth between the larger and smaller objects. Uh, And with this explanation fully taking hold, all parties went back to their task and they would kind of just glance over briefly to see if those folks were still in the area when they were, um, you know, doing what they were doing. So later that afternoon, the couple's daughter came home. When she heard the story of the small figures in the field and curious, she walked out into the field and found a large circular patch of recently burned and crushed grass, 30 feet in diameter. She also found what appeared to be tracks made by a foot, six inches wide, moving away from the burnt patch of grass. So when she returned home, she, uh, she started to feel ill. She became nauseous and she had a headache. So, a month later, UFO investigators were called to the site, and it did. in addition to the burnt uh, grass and the prints, they found these three triangular depressions 30 feet equidistantly apart from each other. They had theorized that what they had observed was a quote-unquote refueling mission, Brian. They're refueling.
1: They're, they're taking our precious Earth resources away, right? Because that's the theory is that they were here to get some water before taking off.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, additional sightings uh, in the area did follow. Um, so what defines the year of the humanoids is basically a, a couple of things. One, an excessive amount of humanoid Uh, reports, but they all seem to happen within this window uh, from about September to early December. So this is well within that time frame. And uh, on November 18th, 1973, near the town of Tracy, four women driving south were stunned to see a, quote, watermelon-sized ball of (laughs) yellowish-white suddenly appear over a pylon a quarter of a mile ahead of them. (laughs) the object changed shape before their very eyes traveling along the St. Lawrence river, which Brian, the, the St. Lawrence river is not that far from me. It's close. It's very same.
1: Same. Yes. We should boat to each other, by the way, we, before I forget, that should be a goal for 2022 is we'll buy boats and boat to each other.
0: Yes. Uh, it'll be, it'll be newsworthy. I, I think totally, uh, there will be reporters covering it and, This amorphous object soon traveled in their direction and it was following them as they were driving into Montreal. So they were met by heavy traffic, slowed down by a pink cloud that was oddly like they described it as laying across the highway.
1: So what I love about this case is the vivid colors. It's like, did these were these women on acid? Were they? Right.
0: Right. Uh, That is a fair question to ask and it's a uh, you know it's plausible it's definitely plausible at this point had they been dosed with LSD somewhere i am not sure uh but it's very possible so each car that passed through this pink cloud they did so slowly and once on the other side the women had to swerve nearly missing a man bent over on the shoulder with a large stick in his hand that resembled part of a vacuum cleaner He was approximately five feet tall, wearing a one piece dark green uniform and matching baseball cap. So another strange event that occurred in the early morning of November 21st at 2 a.m. A woman suffering from insomnia went out to her kitchen to have a cigarette. So, (laughs) you know. Definitely. So way, uh, having
1: cigarettes is very kibikwa. Like smoking is is a cultural thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally is. It totally is. And oddly, she found like these street lights were shining into her kitchen window, only they weren't street lights. The bright whiteness of these lights kind of set itself apart. Peering out the kitchen window, she was confronted by a short three foot tall glowing figure staring at her with two large round eyes. Their head was round and shone in the darkness with a halo above it emitting pure flame. So when you look at the image created of this creature, it looks like the fat flatwoods monster, but like a more metal version that's on fire. I think that's a fair assessment of it.
1: So, also to note, um, uh, Quebec culture less so now, but like back in the day, uh, very Catholic, right? So the idea of seeing something on fire definitely would have brought up some um, uh, devilish imagery to 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 this person.
0: Yeah, and oddly, this anonymous woman was not frightened of this being at all, which is very because she knew she had sinned, Rob, <laughs> the sin of cigarettes. The sin of cigarettes, the sin of a 2 a.m. cigarette hung heavy in the air. And uh, she just kind of found herself transfixed by the appearance of this being. So they engaged in the staring match for about 15 seconds before the figure moved away swiftly. And once this spell had ended, she ran to her sleeping husband and told him of an intruder on their property. Running outside, he failed to find anyone. There was nobody around. Uh, he failed, uh, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> and then he probably went home pr- and promptly smoked a cigarette.
0: Yes, absolutely. And uh, it, it's interesting to note that the local police were actually inundated with UFO sightings uh, during that evening. So weird shit was going on. So the next case is, is the the, <laughs> the case of Florida Malibu, uh Brian what does her name translate to her last name uh, uh bad beef florida bad beef <laughs> florida bad beef this this case is um it's it's a fun one it's um it's unique so on january 6 1977 she had been suffering from a bron- bronchial infection and was any, unable to sleep uh i kind of wonder if she was going to like sneak a cigarette at this point
1: yes sneak a dart as we say around here
0: (laughs) yes yes absolutely uh as we say in the north country uh go for a rip bud uh but um from a third story window she saw what she described as a quote big plate or quote large oyster
1: that that and that kept recurring and i think it's all because they're based on the same two interviews that were conducted the days afterwards so just yes. to note so she lived on cascadine avenue which is uh, located in the little illy uh, district of montreal which is kind of like smack in the middle uh, of the city and uh so she lives two blocks east of um sailor street the main which is like one of the main um arteries in the city
0: so this is a busy area even at this time of night it would be busy right
1: yeah, I think well, less so on her side street, but more so on Sailor Round, probably. There are like um she's a little bit north of here, but like there are 24-hour eateries on there, right? So
0: mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this silver-colored object drifted slowly in the sky, projecting white light from the bottom, and she watched as this object disappeared over a nearby rooftop. Moments later, two figures appeared at the roof's edge. They were tall over six feet in height, thin wearing white one piece coveralls and their heads were covered in these tight kind of helmets. They apparently uh, were there to kind of take in the view. They looked down at the street, they looked up at the sky and then they just turned around and uh, moved back to their craft. Um, And, Before long, she did see this craft lift up and and depart. So it really makes you wonder what the hell were they doing? You know, like craft lands on the roof, which we'll get to in a second. There is physical evidence in this case or strange. I mean, there's sort of physical evidence, which makes me laugh. Right, right. This incident, you know, it shook her. She was unable to sleep. Uh, for the rest of the night, uh, and she kind of just like lingered, lingered with her until she told her son Andre about the incident. Andre bad beef, yes. Andre bad beef. Uh, he's got some bad beef with these aliens now. And seeing how upset she was, Andre walked onto the roof of the building. Um, it was across the street, and it was pretty much like a, an abandoned building at this point. He had kind of difficulty getting up to the roof but uh he was kind of um was able to make it up there and what he found was this 20 foot wide circular sheet of ice covering a thin layer of snow so interesting not really sure what to make of it like it's a nice looking circle but on a separate evening, Andre, accompanied by uh, Wido Hoville, which is the best name in UFO research ever. Agreed. Just a banger name. And uh, a guy named Howard Gontovic and Paul DeBoe, two witnesses to the January 6th incident themselves, Uh, They also joined him on the roof, and they actually found these four footprints that originated from the center of the circle. They resembled the heel and toe marks of a boot, though they were very small. They were only about six inches long and about 1.5 inches wide, which doesn't seem like it would fit with the description of what she said, other than the fact that they were like tall and skinny. So yeah. it it doesn't seem to fit, but given the difficulty it would take to get up there. It seemed unlikely that it could have been made by a child, but you never know. Children are resourceful and they enjoy getting into trouble. So,
1: Especially during the winter months when it's a bit colder. They can wander around more easily. Yes. Uh, So, Rob, this is a podcast first. I'm going to share a story with you of how stupid I was as a kid. Yes, please do. So during the winter months, it is quite cold, right? Um, And so when I was four or five years old, I got the urge to go play cards inside of our family station wagon in the garage outside in the garage in the carport story as we call it right so right, my parents right. uh woke up uh, early Jan- like in early january morning couldn't find me were freaking out searching the house suddenly my dad goes outside and i'm just i had to, i had popped the the back seat to lay it down so i had like a huge flat service to to play cards with and i was just out there playing cards for no particular reason so obviously kids love to get in trouble during the winter months
0: this has like the vibes of that uh, uh, hypnosis session that Leo Sprinkle did in um, <laughs> <laughs> in uh, <laughs> Paul Benowitz's car when he had Myrna Hansen uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has <laughs> those vibes to it right
1: only I was in my PJs not even wearing a coat in the middle of January like an idiot <laughs>
0: Brian, totally not opposed to getting hypothermia as a child. Just uh, playing
1: cards, man. Just enjoying my life playing cards as a four or five year old.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. As four or five year olds. So Rob, what did they do? What did they do with this ice? I, I don't even know. I didn't even find uh, any additional information. Uh, <laughs> so Andre breaks a piece off and sticks it in his
1: freezer. <laughs> <laughs> Which made me think of the infamous Jonathan Reed. There's a there's an alien in my freezer story that like yes. he claimed in the mid '90s. He like obviously um, that was very quickly debunked. But the idea of like I have alien footprints just hanging on my freezer, um, and eventually just like
0: uh, they got rid of it. Right. Like, what do you do with a piece of ice?
1: Yeah. It's, and also nice. to note, it was it was early January, and uh, the uh, meteorological, me- the the weather conditions. I'm not gonna say meteorological because I'll never nail it, but the weather conditions um, in the the area were such that a, a huge storm happened some days later, which uh, really wrecked the the I don't want to use the word crime scene, but the mm-hmm. the space in which this encounter had occurred:
0: yes, the uh, the encounter spot was ruined uh, by a uh, missing 411esque mysterious weather event that was totally normal for the town oh oh Shots fire missing four one one. we should watch we should watch one of the
1: documentaries sometime Rob together yes
0: there uh, I've seen uh, both of them the hunters one is interesting because uh, one of the people that went missing is uh, from my neck of the woods so you know kind of a little south but uh, yeah it was interesting it was like oh he's diving into the Adirondacks Um not a lot of people go missing and can't be found in the Adirondacks. We have pretty good park rangers and stuff. so And also Champ to help out. Yeah, oh, Champ, like, here's the thing, folks. Champ loves to love. Champ loves to love. Champ loves everybody. Not only that, Champ is a private detective, and you didn't know that. <laughs> but Champ can literally walk on land. Champ has been seen walking on land before. Uh, this was reported like I want to say in the, eight, the 1800s, something like that. Somebody saw something in Vermont walk on land. Yeah, it's Champ. Champ can walk on land. Champ likes to rescue hikers that go missing in the Adirondacks. So um, a
1: benevolent cryptid, weird, right? Like that's just not I, a thing that we hear a lot of.
0: I know. Uh, the closest thing that we had was that um weird fawn looking thing from wisconsin it, it showed worry on its face that is the most emotive figure i've seen thus far so um you know cryptids, step up your game show a little compassion have some empathy huh <laughs> yeah stop causing disasters who do we yeah, need to talk seriously. to can i get invited to
1: the council of cryptids like annual meeting like i'm gonna be under the very at the end
0: I think the problem is Brian is that you're gonna have to go back into the remote viewing, uh, training to really get to that level. Yeah, I, uh, I, I
1: took a break there. I tried real hard, Rob. <laughs> it was just not happening for me.
0: <laughs> uh, did you come close at any point to remote no, viewing no, anything?
1: No, which is weird because I, guess, I guess I'm just haunted or whatever. But no, I did not come. And I, and I like, and like no joke, I gave this an honest shot. Like I was very oh, no. curious to see. Like I wasn't just doing this as a ploy for the Double Dynasty podcast. I actually was like actively being like, let me see if this is something that I can do. And it is clear that I can't.
0: It's a sad day when you realize that your friend has no ability to remote view anything. It's um, is this the end of our friendship? Like is this like a uh, thing that we
1: need to like figure out together?
0: Yeah, I think so. We're gonna have to uh, go to. We'll take it uh, offline
1: firstly, but yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm
0: yeah, um, uh, I'm sorry I broke your heart. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, we can. I think we can work it out. So, uh, I have one more case here, uh, and this is uh, directly from Chris Rukowski and Jeff Ditman's excellent book, "The Canadian UFO Report." Get your hands on it; it's pretty comprehensive in like the most infamous UFO cases from Canada, most of which you probably heard of. You'll get your Falcon Lakes. You'll get uh, your Shag Harbour. Shag yeah, you're uh, if you've never heard of the Carp Guardian case and just how wild it is, uh, go listen to the Double Density podcast and then go read this book because it's <laughs> it's it's buck wild. I mean, you've Honestly, got in
1: terms of like the the important cases, like it is a great distillation of like the more important Canadian ones.
0: Yes. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. Uh, and, uh, you know, it it's bullshit. It's a hoax, but, uh, you know. <laughs> oh that i thought funny. you meant the book not the Carp guardian no, case, no. which is no, no, which the, is bullshit yes 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 the guardian case is 100 bull, percent bullshit the book is fantastic uh they 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 kind of knocked it out of the park so. i just wanted to make that
1: clear because it kind of sounded like you were ragging on the book and i was like no i know you don't feel that way about no. about uh no. about rodkowski's work so
0: No, I I respect Rakowski's work uh, tremendously, and uh, I have enjoyed. uh, We relied on him heavily for our Falcon Lake uh, episode. So his work is solid 100% through and through. So this case, uh, I'm going to directly quote it from the book here. Uh, Quote, the strangeness in Canada. The the strangeness continued in Canada, though fewer cases were reported on an annual basis for some time. In July 1982, outside Laval, Quebec, four young people had too close an encounter with the strange object and its occupant early one morning. So here's the confusing
1: thing: it's actually three young people and one older person. So it's yes. a woman named Denise Lebray, who's the mom, and her yes. son Francois are just kicking it outside, like around one a.m. when they see strange lights and things. And so, um, they quickly wake up the the the, the Francois's older brother Michel and their friend Stéphane. So it's the three kids, and then they decide to pitch a tent outside because they saw something weird. They are waiting for something odd to happen, and it sure does.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, So their attention was drawn to an object moving silently through the air. This was about 2 a.m. And with an estimated altitude of only 200 feet, the helicopter sized craft gave off a white light powerful enough to light up the ground. After a short time, the object went behind some buildings and out of sight of the witnesses. But they were not to be alone for long. Hearing a strange noise, they peered out of their tent and saw a bizarre being roughly the size of a human, but with orange eyes and a huge head. Yes. So So
1: I wrote down a weird sized, gigantic head tinged in orange. And uh, a couple of the, the French descriptions are even more compelling in that they the kids actually go out of the tent, turn their flashlights on and run into this alien straight up.
0: Like. That is the worst. Like, why? Why, aliens? Why you gotta be like up in everybody's business when you don't need to be checking out the scene? Like, <laughs> give people their space. Do you not understand how unsettling you are?
1: Yeah. And these are, these are like, imp- like impressionable youths, teens.
0: Yes uh and interestingly enough they they became enveloped in a whirlwind of dust which is which is odd it's it's very odd and they started to experience uh terrible stomach pains and they ran into uh the house um they didn't see anything else after this, but like
1: i mean when you're when you're a kid, these things are exciting right because your like danger centers are kind of broken right like you don't you don't perceive fear in the same way I guess so it's an exciting and I guess the mom was like oh whatever the kids can go hang Um, so something interesting to note though is that the next morning Libre's husband goes out into the the space and he finds these like weird animal like uh, footprints which are described as ostrich like
0: yeah that's very weird like they're basically aren't they like three toed or something like that yeah yeah so, like tripod-ish, yes. Uh, which is uh, three-toed prints are not uncommon sometimes in UFO reports. Sometimes uh, people report seeing three-toed prints following a UFO sighting and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's that's very it's it's interesting. Like, if you don't have any animals in the area that would cause that, like for instance, here's an interesting story. Throughout my neighborhood, uh in the last week or so, I saw these weird prints around. They look like they were made by a dog, but a dog with a fairly sizable paw, you could kind of see like the nails. We um, talking
1: Beethoven size here?
0: Uh yeah, maybe. Like it was a substantial paw. But the thing is, is like given the um the prints. It looked like it was only walking on two feet, which is very weird. Like You would see like a succession of, you know, two prints instead of like maybe, uh, you know, like two side by side, which you would normally see with a dog. The weird thing was this, whatever this was, walked onto my property, Brian. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you think it is? Uh I think uh they're keeping an eye on me Brian whatever whatever they were. Um either it was I, like a I want to believe that. I want to
1: believe that they're tagging you. They're like this guy he knows something.
0: And and this is what's bugging me. So we had had a, a you know a, a couple of thaws recently. A couple of days like in the 40s and one close to the 50 degrees. So there are these sets of prints that Basically, walk next to my house. This is behind like a kind of like a snowbank that's melting, so i wouldn't walk there because it you know there's you you'd have a little difficult time like you know walking on the snow to do it. The thing was is there were also footprints there which i don't remember making so <laughs> I d- I don't know what's going on here <laughs> is this one of those like classic
1: Bible stories where like there's two sets of prints but only yeah. I, like only one body
0: uh yeah, like there is a yeah uh there is definitely a um you know Jesus moment I think Jesus was carrying this dog at a certain point um but, <laughs> was it like yeah. it, like let's be honest like it was in a pouch right like yes, totally in a pouch uh this is yeah it, it was just like weird because like I, I expected to see like if it's a dog, there should be more prints here, not just like two and a two you know one two in a line here, so yeah, I kind of freaked myself out with that a little bit, so yeah, there's some weird stuff happening in the adirondacks that's uh that's just par for the course, I guess I don't know I love
1: how we went from ostrich prince to to uh Jesus. Uh, in a dog pouch, I'm I'm very
0: proud of this, Rob. Yeah, I am uh, absolutely uh, just thrilled. Uh, I, think a I think I could see a, a tear, yeah, like a single tear yeah, whole... streaming
1: down your face.
0: I am, uh, I'm about to write a bestseller here right when we're done. Uh, but, <laughs>
1: you have threatened uh, to write a book, which I am like more seriously, but like I, I'm waiting.
0: It's gonna take some time, but it'll get there. It's getting there. It's uh. It's writing out a timeline and, uh, like a really excessively long three year timeline. So, uh, yeah, it, it, that's like five years down the road, but uh, everybody will see it eventually. And, you know, that's a, I think that's a good point between, you know, uh, Jesus pouches and books. I think it's a, uh, that's the perfect ending to this podcast. So, <laughs> Brian. If people want to keep up with what you're doing, where should they follow along? myspace.com slash
1: radio is a great place to start. Though more seriously, on Twitter, Brian with an I, H-A-S-T-I-E is where you can find me. I also co-host the Double Density podcast with my co-host Angelo, who actually lives kind of near um, where some of these sightings happen off the island, so that's kind of funny. I should check in with him to see if he's seen anything recently. And you can follow us on Twitter over double underscore density and hit up double density.net to find out all the different ways in which you can listen to the podcast on all the major and minor streaming platforms. And then uh, Rob and I are also part of the order of podcast which uh, streams regularly on Twitch. You can also find episodes all over your favorite podcasting apps.
0: Yes, yes, you absolutely can. As for the Our Strange Guys podcast, you can find us on most podcasting apps. For some reason, we're not on iHeartRadio. I'll get to fixing that eventually. But uh, if you'd like to help us out, please leave a rating and review on the platforms that will allow it. Do it for the Double Density podcast. And if you're not listening to the Double Density podcast, why? Why? It's it's great to hear Angelo, like you know, talk himself into the uber skeptic that he is.
1: So uh, <laughs> I don't even know if he's gonna listen in this episode so this is like a great dumping ground for all my grievances against him on another man's podcast like just angelo like could you read something like so it's it's a running joke in that like i do sort of like a more of the heavy lifting and angelo refuses to read and or or write um though i know he can do both i i talk to him via text so i i unless he does like unless he's doing like a, a talk to text thing which i haven't thought about actually which might be a way that he's like communicating with me that i've just realized
0: But you made him happy,
1: Rob, in that you recently purchased a a MacBook. Yeah. uh, I can't believe you told him.
0: I can't believe you told him, but I had to, man. I had to. It thrilled
1: him to know, and he's brought it up like multiple times in the past week. Oh,
0: God. Oh, God. He needs new hobbies,
1: too, not just podcasting.
0: So is he like Mac spotting like all over the place?
1: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, He's like, where's uh, for real life?
0: Yeah, oh, totally. Uh, I expect him to pop up in like uh, my house at some point. Just, just, like, I'm going to see him out of the corner of my eye just looking at my MacBook Pro. Instead of shadow uh, people, it's just Angelo. <laughs> yes, it explained <laughs> the entire phenomenon. But uh, seriously, though, tell... All your friends uh, about the, the podcasts that you listen to on social media and such. Uh, and if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to Patreon dot com slash your UFO guy where you can learn about Gondola Man for just three dollars a month. Uh, you get access to early access to the main episodes as well as bonus episodes. I just recorded one, uh, about, uh, this, I, I shared this image on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, I think at this point, and it looks like a mantis being that's getting down to cotton. Eye Joe, it definitely has like, you know, uh, hoedown vibes, definitely a line dancer. So, uh, if you want to hear more about that, I'll be releasing that on Patreon soon. So basically, don't be consumed by the apathy ray. Show the pods you enjoy some love. So uh, if you want to hear my voice on other podcasters, Brian brought up the the order of podcasters, which I'm a part of. Uh, if you want to hear me play a, um, a a George Norrie-like character, uh, although right now I am... Um, Uh, a bisexual southern man who uh, plays the guitar so you know if you want to catch that you totally should i am also the dm of rolling through the realms so please go check those out brian has been involved in rolling through the realms too so
1: it's true it's uh, and i've I've mentioned this before but like having a a leveled up character is not something that i'm used to so it's kind of nice to just roll in and do my Mm -hmm. thing and know that like the consequences won't be as bad for my character in any form of combat
0: Absolutely. He is a tank with a frying pan. Uh, Special thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme song for this podcast and special thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our fantastic logo and to the great Desdemona for our t-shirt designs. Uh, And if you want to check out some merch there is a link in the description and finally don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or over your local hilton hotel watch out for the ovnis yes watch out for the ovnis in gray we trust Naveed Media.